Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Giuliotti here again on another awesome Sunday night. And this is the Gift of Grace, where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. So I hope you've had an awesome week. We are in the season of Advent, approaching the celebration of the Nativity of the Lord, where Jesus, Yeshua, the God-man, was born, as Paul pointed out in the book of Galatians, he was born of a woman, born under the law. He was born just like every other baby has been born. And the difference here, of course, was that he was born of a virgin, and we may talk about that from Isaiah chapter 7 next week. And we know that, although we don't know I should say, the day he was actually born, there's a lot of opinion. Well, there's three main opinions. One is that he was born December 25th, which he most likely was not. Another was that he was born during the festival of Tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, in, in October, because it's about dwelling in temporary shelters, living in communities. And John points out that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek literally means he pitched his tent with us. So that's a possibility. There's another smaller school of thought that says he may have been born in April based on various calculations, but whatever it was, it was good. (laughs) It was awesome. And December 25th has become kind of the generally accepted day to commemorate the birth of the Messiah, or what's commonly called the Nativity, what's commonly called Christmas. And we're not going to get into that debate of how all that came about, but um, it's a day that has pretty much been agreed to since about the 300, since the 300s AD. And so <clears throat> we're going to go with that. <laughs> and this is the time that we're in now leading up to it. Advent, of course, is an ancient, oh, I guess you could call it a discipline. It's an ancient tradition of the church to prepare yourself for the birth of Messiah by reflecting and praying and studying scripture and thinking about your life. And always a good idea to think about why we need a Messiah in the first place why we need an anointed one in the first place. And that is, of course, because our lives are a mess and that we're all sinners. As Paul says in the book of Romans, there is none who is righteous, not one. So if you could go to heaven by being good, that would be great, but nobody would be there because it would mean keeping all the law perfectly all of your life. And so we need a Messiah. We need someone who paid the price for our sin, paid the price for our rebellion. And at a time when the world needs a Messiah more than any other time, really, and that's the time we're living in, the world is the farthest away from a Messiah because we've lost all sense of who we are and what we are. And our rebellion against God has gone so far 
that now we've even denied natural law, obvious truth, not even just truth with a capital T, which was denied long ago, but even truth with a small t is now being denied. And so we need a Messiah. And as Jesus himself pointed out, the road to destruction is very broad, and there are many, most people are on it. The road to salvation, the road to the door is narrow, and there are a few that are on it. And so we we prepare ourselves to commemorate the birth of Messiah, not because a great philosopher was going to be born, not because a great teacher was going to be born, but that the Savior was born, the Son of David and the Son of God, as the prophecy uh, proclaimed in Second Samuel chapter 7, that he would be the Son of David, and that he would be the perfect sacrifice for sin, and that his blood would pay the penalty for our sin. And so we commemorate his birth and we rejoice at his birth because now the plan of salvation has come into flesh. The plan of salvation that begins, I always like to say from Genesis 3.15, where God promises a redeemer. It's the first proclamation of the gospel, but actually begins before creation. Because in the book of Revelation, it says the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. But the perfect lamb comes into the world in order to be the perfect sacrifice. And that's the gospel. The gospel is not about being nice. The gospel is not about tolerance. The gospel is not about recycling. The gospel is not about making ten commandments for the environment. The gospel is not about repenting to the earth, as many religious leaders are now saying. The gospel is that Jesus died for you and that you can't be saved without him. And he couldn't have died and offered the perfect sacrifice if he hadn't been born. So commemorating his birth, commemorating the nativity, is, I think, a pretty important thing. Since we're in Advent, the book of Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah, is just chock full of Advent stuff. (laughs) It's really amazing. And last week we did a teaching from it, and I'm sure next week we will, and I'm losing track of how many weeks it is till Christmas, but I guess it's only two weeks till Christmas, so I guess there's only one more Advent show after today. Um, That'll be the 18th, and then the 25th will be actually Christmas night. So today we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 11. We'll do Isaiah 7 next week with the virgin being with child. But today we're going to go to Isaiah 11. I'm going to read a little bit of it here at the beginning, and then we're going to talk about it. Verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall be upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with with the rod of his mouth, 
and the breath of his lips shall slay the wicked. And let's pause there for a second, because, boy, this business about uh, rod from his mouth striking the earth and um, his breath slaying the wicked, that doesn't really go around with, doesn't go along with our modern church of nice that says God loves everyone and everything is going to be wonderful and everything is acceptable and don't worry about anything. We have people in political office now who commit gross blasphemy and just feel that everything is fine. We have the church now that goes off on the most ridiculous tangents of teaching, trying to be more and more like the world, thinking that there's no repercussions to that, that they won't be held accountable for that. So back to this root of Jesse. Jesse, we know, was David's father. And the prophet Samuel was sent to Jesse's house to anoint the next king. And he went through all the sons. They brought young David, the youngest of them, in from the field where he was taking care of the sheep and anointed him as king. So Jesse was his father. So from the root of Jesse, from the stump of Jesse, this anointed one is going to come. And the Spirit is going to rest upon him. We know in Isaiah 10, and we talked about this last week, that people's yoke was going to be smashed. People walking in darkness and gloom. The yoke, the rod of their taskmaster, was going to be smashed. And now we find out in this chapter, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? And we know, of course, that Messiah had to come from the house of David because we don't have time to do um, 2 Samuel, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan tells David that from his own body, from his own loins, is going to come the one who is going to shepherd Israel. From David, physically descended, is going to be the Messiah. And, of course, you know that Son of David is one of the principal titles of the Messiah. And we know that David was the royal family. We know that he was from the tribe of Judah. We know that Judah was going to have the scepter. We go all the way back to Genesis 49 for that, when Jacob is very old and he's dying in Egypt, and he's blessing each of his sons. And this is where we get the term when he comes to Judah, his son Judah. He talks about the lion of Judah. He talks about Judah having the scepter. In other words, the scepter is the sign of royalty, is the sign of ruling, the sign of reigning. The tribe of Judah was going to have that, which, of course were the kings, starting with David and going to Solomon and then going down to Joseph and Mary, who Luke tells us were both from the line of David. So a shepherd's going to come from David. At the time of David's boyhood, there wasn't really much going on with the house of David. It was, you know, Jesse and his wife and 
Boaz had been their grand, his grandfather. They were not a powerful family. At the time of Jesus being born, the house of David was insignificant. There was no monarchy. After the monarchy ended with the Babylonian exile, by the time of Jesus, the Romans were there. The Greeks had been had conquered the land before that, the Babylonians before that. There had been no monarchy. So the family was brought low. And Joseph and Mary lived in this obscure town. They were obscure people. They certainly had no power, no wealth. And this is where Messiah is born. Isaiah says here that he's going to be a small branch. The Hebrew root, the Hebrew word that's used there is Nassar, which is actually the root word of the word Nazareth. So how cool is that? And it conveys a small green branch, a little shoot. You've all seen little green shoots coming out of a tree stump. This is what a Nassar is. It's easily broken. It's very weak. It doesn't have the wood covering it. So this small, weak branch would overcome the powers of evil, would smash the rod of the taskmaster, would make a spectacle of Satan, would be the one who is king of kings and lord of lords, who sits on the throne of David forever and would eventually destroy all the evil in the world. And in my opinion, we're coming close to that right now. We're in that trajectory. And it says, Isaiah says, the Spirit is going to rest on him. And Jesus himself points this out in Luke chapter 4, when he does his great teaching at the synagogue in Nazareth, which was one sentence. He talked about the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him and all the things that Messiah was going to do. And he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They got the people upset. <laughs> but this is what he said in the synagogue of Nazareth. Because that person who was going to be from this little, was going to be this little shoot from the root from the stump of David, who was going to destroy evil, destroy sin, destroy the the rod of the taskmaster, was in fact he. And in one sentence, he tells the people at the synagogue that morning that that scripture is fulfilled in their hearing. So it's pretty cool. And we know that um, Paul tells us in Colossians that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus of Nazareth. So in other words, when you saw human Jesus of Nazareth, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. Had you seen the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus, the newborn Jesus in the manger that night, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. You saw the glory, capital G, that Moses was not allowed to see. Imagine that. Moses was not allowed to see the glory the people who were there that night saw the glory because he was the fullness of the Godhead. And so this is such a profound thing that 
Isaiah goes on to write, and, and keep in mind this was 700 years or so before Jesus was even born. Isaiah writes 700 years before. And he says he has all wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge. Well, we know that because he is 100% God and 100% man. He's not just human, Jesus of Nazareth, who was an exceptionally good man. He was 100% God and 100% man. So he has all wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge. And Isaiah points out he's not influenced by the opinions of men. He knows what his mission is. He knows what, for want of a better word, his duty is. He obeys the Father. Why does he obey the Father? Does that mean he's less God than the Father is? No. It is a functional situation where the plan of salvation is made by the Trinity within the Godhead that the second person was going to be the Son. He has always existed, but he was going to be the Son and was going to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. And even going back, well, we could talk about this forever, but even go back to Proverbs chapter 8, there's this amazing passage. I can't remember the verses offhand. <clears throat> and it's basically Jesus talking about how when everything was being created, he was playing at the foot of the Father and watching everything being made, and he was on the earth, and he, he said he particular he had particular love for the Son of Men. He had particular love for human beings. And he came to die so that human beings could be saved. So he's not influenced by men. He's going to judge with righteousness. And, you know, it says with righteousness he'll judge the poor. That doesn't just mean the materially poor. It also means the spiritually poor. But he does it with righteousness and not from hearing. In other words, he doesn't judge somebody based on what he's heard. <laughs> that's, that's, he doesn't judge based on the opinions of men like we do as people. He doesn't do that. He judges with righteousness. And is there judgment? Well, yes. A rod comes from his mouth. This is repeated in the book of Revelation, where it says there's a two-edged sword that comes from his mouth and a rod in his hand. Now, these are, of course, poetic images, and he doesn't actually have a sword in his mouth. He doesn't act. We don't know exactly what that's going to be, but it's talking about true judgment. It's talking about when he comes back, He's going to have a sword, and he's going to have a rod of iron, and every knee is going to bow. We, those of us that are believers, are going to bow willingly. Someone who has refused to bow and has rebelled and <laughs> has been living the life of 20th and 21st century Western society will get hit with that iron rod, and then they'll bow and everyone will say Jesus is Lord, whether they're going to heaven or to hell. 
everyone is going to say that he's Lord on that day. And so Isaiah prophesies this so far in advance, 700 years before any of it happens. So this is really quite remarkable. And then that passage goes on to say, I don't want to, I know that I I already see the time is going, but it talks about the animals. The wolf is going to dwell with the lamb. The leopard is going to lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion. A little child is going to lead them and the cow and the bear are going to graze and you know, the lion's going to eat straw and a child can play with the snakes and not get hurt. Because this is, a, this is the messianic age that this is describing. This is describing peace. This is describing the kingdom. There isn't going to be sin. There isn't going to be corruption. There isn't going to be grief. In Revelation, it says every tear will be wiped away. In verse 9, it says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Because here we are as believers in Yeshua. We, I don't want to say understand, but we're full of the knowledge of the Lord just like the water covers the sea. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But when Messiah comes, we're going to know, we're going to have knowledge of the Lord. And as it says in other places, we're not going to even have to ask people, teach me about it. We're just going to know. But then in verse 10 is what I want to get to, and 11, because the time's going. Verse 10, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand the second time to recover the remnant of his people. And then it goes on to talk about these battles that they were in at that time. But then verse 12, it says, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So what is happening here? In that day when Messiah comes, He's going to be the root of Jesse, which we've just talked about. He's going to be that little netzar, the little green shoot. But he's going to stand as a banner to the people. Now, the people refers to Israel. He's going to stand as their banner. And guess what? It says Gentiles shall seek him. Gentiles shall seek him. This was radical thinking. Not only at the time of Isaiah, but also at the time of the apostles. And it took the apostles a while to get this. Why in the world are Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus? This is very strange. Because Messiah was for them. But here Isaiah says, Gentiles will seek him. And it says in verse 12, he's going to set up a banner for the nations and assemble the outcasts of Israel and the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, we know that each of the tribes of Israel in the wilderness, they each had a banner. And that was their identity, was their banner. They knew what part of the camp they belonged in. They knew who their kinspeople were. Because the banner identified them. 
Now, Isaiah says, at the time that Messiah comes, he's going to be a banner for the nations. When the Bible talks about nations, it's talking about Gentiles. So he's talking about a banner for the nations. God is going to set up. Gentiles are going to seek him. Gentiles are going to come to faith in the Jewish Messiah. Really quite remarkable. They come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, and they're gathered together with Israel into the kingdom under the banner. And what, what's the banner that the Gentiles have come to? The cross. The cross of Messiah, the cross of Jesus, the cross of Yeshua. Because that is the only way into the kingdom, the only way of salvation. And Gentiles, who are unclean, uncovenant people, come to the cross because it's the banner that's set up to the people. 700 years before Messiah is even born, this is what Isaiah talks about is going to happen. Ooh, well, we're coming to the time. I know the music's already playing. Ooh. So we're going to talk a little bit about more Isaiah next week. So I hope you join us as we read and teach God's word and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. Have a great week. Let me make a hand raised in faith.